Hey, this is Mike Goldberg, the voice of Bellator MMA. Join us right now for MMA FanCast. Welcome back. Welcome back. As you just heard, we are MMA FanCast. My name is Jim Mooney. My podcast partner is Luke Payson. And here we are once again on the train that we call Red vs. Blue Series, which is covering Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. This episode, we are joined by Armando Villarreal. He is on the fight card for week four. He is a pro bantamweight with a five and one record. Armando, how are you doing today? Hey, doing great, Jim. Uh, thank you guys for uh, contacting me and having me on. Well, we're we are so glad to have you on. We uh, we try to get as many fighters on as we can because I think it's important, and Luke does too, that um, that we get everybody's story out because you know we don't want the public and the fans to see you guys as just fighters because fighting is what you do it's not who you are and so we try to give people a little bit of uh your background and and let people know you know there's a lot more to you so um but we're always interested in hearing the fight aspect of the game and and how you get to that point so actually we're going to start right there at 5 and 1 as uh, a bantamway pro you've got um a number of TKOs we're naked chokes to start your pro career, I believe. Um, you were was it five and one or six and one as as an amateur? So I was wondering if you could take us on your journey a little bit to where you got started at MMA, what that first eye opening experience was for you, and how you got to this point. I, I you know when when I was younger, I was always a baseball player. I'll tell you that, uh, you know, I, I went to college thinking I was going to play uh, some college ball, but I ended up partying out of uh, my first college, and then uh, I tore my shoulder uh, when I was about 18 years old. So uh, I really, I, my first eye-opening experience, I guess, for uh, MMA was, I want to say it was the Rich Franklin-Anderson Silva fight. Uh, I think number two where Rich Franklin uh, hurt his knee or something like that. They had a knee injury at the end of the fight. That's a and- good one to jump in on, though. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a nice little eye opener, man. And uh, I thought that was something I wanted to do, you know. Uh, uh, from then on, uh, so I started uh, from my hometown. I'm from originally from San Benito, Texas. I started looking around for gyms, and I actually started doing jujitsu at a place called Harlingen Jiu Jitsu Club under a uh, black belt Jake Montalvo. Then I moved up to uh, a Waco in 2011. And uh, started training under a Chris Spicer at a Helsing Gracie Waco. And, uh, you know, we started focusing more on self-defense style of jiu-jitsu. Uh, there he had a striking coach named Luis Suarez uh, who helped me, you know, uh, taught me kickboxing and boxing. 
and uh, that's that's around when I really started focusing on my on my uh, MMA career. I think I had my first amateur career, uh, first amateur fight in 2013, and uh, I, I actually went five and one as an amateur, uh, and then I moved up to the pro ranks uh, in 2015 with my first uh, pro fight being with uh, Bellator. So you mentioned a baseball player, and I grew up kind of in the same mold that you know I. I definitely had some talent, and like you, I thought that I could make it to the bigs. And sometimes nowadays I watch Major League Baseball players and I see blunders they make, and it's it's a little disheartening to see that happening. And I think, you know, I, I wasn't that dumb to make those rookie mistakes, and, you know, these are, you know, sometimes seasoned vets that do that. So with that said, though, um, each sport has, you know, an athlete – has a moment where they feel like they they got what it takes and they want to try and do something with this so along that journey can you recall a, a time or a moment when you know you started getting involved in the mixed martial arts and you thought i want to go ahead and put myself out there and test myself against other fighters and i want to be a, a fighter myself uh man, it, it, it had to be around that that 2013 2014 area I had already about one or two amateur fights and, uh, you know, I started cross training, uh, down in temple, uh, with a gym called a uh, grappler's lair under, uh, John Moore and his, uh, his pro fighter, uh, TJ Wahlberger, which, uh, was a, a former UFC fighter. And, you know, I used to, you know, I used to go there about three times out of the week and I, you know, he'd be one of my sparring partners, man. And, you know, he'd, he'd be dishing it out and, you know, I, I was able to, uh, you know, uh, take my licks and after a while be able to stand, stand up with him and, you know, keep the pace going. So after, you know, after about, you know, several months doing that, uh, it really got me thinking, you know, I, I could keep, you know, keep going with this. Uh, so I really, you know, buckled down and focused on my training to, you know, try to become a, a better you know, more knowledgeable mixed martial artists. Yeah, so we are just a few days away really now from your opportunity in the UFC and, and fighting in front of Dana and, you know, the rest of his UFC buddies. When did you see that as a real opportunity where you felt like you could compete and it was just a matter of time before you uh, were given the chance or wanted to take that shot? Well, I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've wanted that shot when the opportunity, you know, uh, you know, came, but I guess, uh, about nine weeks ago was when my, uh, my management company sucker punch actually, uh, gave me that information that I would be on the, uh, the Dana White's contender series. And, uh, I get it, it happened, uh, it happened right after my, my last fight in March, I, I fought for LFA, uh, 63, uh, against uh, Devin Miller. And, uh, you know, we, we fought a good hard three rounds. And then, and then that third round, I, I was able to knock him out and I, uh, knocked him out right in front of Dana White. So, uh, I guess, uh, from what people are saying, you know, he, he didn't know anything about me. He wasn't, you know, there to look, look, look at me, but, uh, I guess I opened up his eyes, uh, that, that moment. So I guess it was kind of a blessing in disguise, so to say, to be able to perform, uh, at that moment, you know, while he was there. Absolutely. I, I got to see that. I watched any fight I could find of you on YouTube and 
obviously that's a big, that's your highlight of your career, but something I wanted to talk to you about your style. And um, I try to look at when, when we interview all these fighters, I try to look at their style and, and what I like about your style. And you've mentioned it a few times about uh, integrating your striking into um, a grappling submission because you, you pretty much win by striking, grappling, submitting. So, so here's what I'm trying to get to. You have what I call, hopefully you'll take this as a compliment. I certainly mean it as a compliment. You have what I call the GSP style where you use your kickboxing to get engaged in kickboxing and then you'll use a dip um, to go under a punch, usually a hook, and then you take them down from there as opposed to somebody who shoots too far out, gets caught in guillotines. Was that something intentional you did, or is that a style that just came through sparring and just learning how to integrate striking into an MMA environment? Hey, man, uh, you know, thanks. I mean, I take it as a compliment. You know, uh, my, my head coach at the moment, Jake Brennan, you know, he's a real big GSP fan. So I, I would say it, it's it's just uh, years of, you know, trial and error and, you know, uh, integrating uh, knowledge that has been given to me from uh, all these coaches that I've, you know, trained under when I, when I first started my, my, if you look at my first two, uh, amateur events, I basically, I'm just running straight into the guy and trying to take, take him down. You know, I was a straight jujitsu guy. I got my boxing and my kickboxing from, uh, my coach, uh, Luis Suarez, you know, he's the one that really helped me with my striking. And then, uh, I, I started, uh, incorporating, uh, wrestling uh, when I started training down at Grappler's Lair. So uh, I, I credit uh, Jim Moore uh, and uh, TJ Wahlberger for uh, you know helping me with that. And uh, you really see around my third amateur fight is when I, I kind of slowly start mixing that up. And then uh, just about a year ago uh, is when I, I, you know, moved in with Jake Brennan and, and the Blitz crew. And, and he's really, uh, really helped learn uh, – taught me how to how to blend all that together uh we have a a wrestling coach by the name of donnie curtis who uh you know uh, has helped me you know improve my wrestling skills you know like i said it's it's an incorporation of of everybody uh that that's been around me that's is really helpful but uh you know i'm yeah you know me i i like to uh i don't i, I don't like to be hit so i like to try to move around and and try to uh, you know dodge as much as I can, but uh, I mean, I appreciate you know the the compliments on that. Absolutely, I, I think that's something that is sometimes hard in MMA because of people wanting to take the fight down, and obviously the grappling, the the jujitsu is there for you, and you're really good at it. But uh, the reason why I mentioned GSP is because he always used his kickboxing and his ability to move around to set up his shots, and I really saw that also. I was able to watch your entire fight, the only pro loss you've had, um, you know, which is always tough because obviously it's a loss, but it was a really close decision and it was strange. They didn't announce what the score was. Do you have any idea what the score was? Because they just said at the end, you know, decision. I was expecting. Yeah, no, yeah, no I, I, I'm not aware that I know they this they just gave gave, uh, you know, a whole unanimous decision to, to Elijah that that day. So. Right. It, 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 that's kind of hard. I mean, obviously it's a loss, but me watching it, I'd say you won easily one round, if not two. And I was surprised it went against you. But um, in that fight, he certainly looked like the type of guy. 
uh, physique-wise, movement-wise, that was really comfortable striking, and yet in many cases you uh, got off first and then moved out of the way. Was that your first time really going up against somebody um, that, that sort of was dynamic striking? I'd probably say, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the other you know two opponents that I've had prior were – were more grappling guys. He, you know, I took that fight uh, in four week notice, and he, it was up a weight class. Mm-hmm. So uh, I knew he was going to be a, uh, you know, a bigger guy than me. You know, we talked about, you know, maybe, you know, grappling with him, but because he was a bigger individual, I thought maybe, you know, moving around and striking around with him would, uh, would work uh, very well. And uh, it, you know, I know it was a loss for me, but I don't know. It was probably one of my, my my funnest fights, you know, of having, it was a fun fight to, to have with him. Oh yeah. And I was pointing out your, your striking as actually being better than his in the sense that you, you get a lot of guys that are so confident in their striking that they, that they sort of aren't as precise as they need to be. And I actually thought, I did not know that you were up in weight. I could tell that he was a bigger kind of physique, bigger, longer guy. I actually thought you outstruck him because of your timing and movement which is only something that you can take, even though it's a loss, it's only something you can take better. Have you always considered bantamweight to be your ideal weight class? I guess, I guess, you know, you'd uh, say that, you know, uh, especially after that fight, I usually walk around 163 or so uh, out of camp, but I guess, you know, I'm, I'm a shorter guy, shorter, shorter arm, arm reach, arm length. So, uh, yeah, uh, it that'd probably be you know my my go-to uh, uh, division. Anything different about your fight camp with this one? Uh, you know, not not really anything has changed. You know, we still you know we still go by you know the game plan. I go by what my coach Jake uh, you know uh, has planned for me. You know, uh, it was an eight-week camp, so that's that's a plus. And you know, we watched some film uh, of O'Day. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not the type of fighter who, you know, goes and, and goes back and forth looking at film. I probably watched him about two or three times. You know, I let my, uh, my coach, he, he does the film scouting and then he brings to the table, you know, uh, what he sees, uh, that Ode does. And, you know, we, we try to incorporate that, uh, in the camps, but, you know, other than that, you know, everything, you know, kind of just goes the same with every other camp, you know, making sure I'm eating right, making sure I'm running right. You know, we're doing our wrestling, uh, you know, doing our striking type deal. So, you know, not, not a lot really has changed. It's just it's a, it's a bigger uh, production. So, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot more eyes onto it. So uh, just trying to, you know, make sure we don't got the jitters and we got everything, uh, got all our tools sharpened for, for the bout. So it's basically – Get Armando better, and you'll take care of the the little details inside the cage. Pretty much, man. Just you know, just trying to stay healthy, stra- trying to get one percent better every day, and uh, you know, we call that a wrap. So you mentioned before earlier your walk around is one uh, sixties, and you fight at one thirty five. So when does that weight start to come off? Because you mentioned an eight week fight camp. So when do you focus on starting to, to cut that weight? And then is there a, a portion or you know, a time period before the fight where now's the time to go ahead and, and cut the rest? 
Well, uh, you know, uh, let's. My last fight was in March, and so I probably had about maybe three weeks uh, where I didn't, I wasn't uh, aware of what was going on, and then, uh, and then around week, uh, about nine weeks out from this fight was when I was told uh, about about the fight. So, you know, when I get, you know, when I get told of a fight, it, it's I start, you know, cutting back on certain things. I stop drinking beer, of course. Uh, and, uh, instead of just, uh, you know, eating, you know, what I want, I start, you know, meal prepping, doing my meal preps, you know, weight starts to shed around, you know, that eight week, six week mark is, you know, when I, I can, I could start to, uh, about six weeks is when it really starts to come down. And about four weeks out is, uh, when I like to be a, around the 52, 54 mark. And then, uh, you know, that, that this last, you know, especially this last week is when I really, you know, go down to crunch time. I, I still, I'm still eating about three to four meals a day. You know, the pro I'll probably, you know, go back on the protein. I start, you know, uh, counting my calories, uh, a lot more diligently. Uh, this last week I'm drinking, you know, two gallons of water a day, uh, till Friday. And then, uh, Saturday I cut back and then well, Sunday's the weight cut. So, mm-hmm. And I got uh, one more question before I'm going to kick it back over to Luke. Some uh, some of the fighters have them, some don't. You do, and that is a nickname. I did see that on Topology. So I was wondering um, if you could explain to us and our listeners how you got your nickname. Uh, so, yeah, my nickname is La Lumbre, and it means the fire. Fire, yes. And, uh, I got that from my from my first striking coach, Luis Suarez, Uh and, you know, basically, you know, the, what he told he the way he told me is, you know, uh, he's, he's had, I guess, guys that he's coached up and, and whatnot. And, you know, some kind of, you know, do it in the beginning and enjoy it. And, and then, you know, uh, they wither away. But I guess with me, I had the drive and the passion to, to want to keep going. So, you know, I, I had that fire in me that to keep going. So, which is why he calls me La Lumbre. We, uh, Luke and I covered uh, a local MMA event back. It was that that was in April, and it was uh, we're based out of Pittsburgh. It was uh, a new promotion, and we're still involved uh, with it. But one of the fighters on there had well, it had to be one of the worst nicknames <laughs> I ever heard. And his his nickname, and he chose it, was the Chinese disappointment. Oh now, wow. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, obviously, there there was some backstory to that, some inside story, and I you know I didn't ask what uh, what that was, but I always find nicknames interesting, and for the most part, you can easily associate fighters with uh, with their nicknames, and they and they match. But I just I couldn't see where where that one was appropriate or how it even made sense. Yeah, I don't know, man. They get. I guess that's why uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't pick your own nickname. Somebody should pick it for you. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so headed into this fight, you are currently in Texas. When do you fly out to Vegas, and what's kind of your you gave us our your time frame for cutting weight? Do do you kind of have an idea of your time frame for using the facilities there, uh, for going with your team? And um, are you worried at all about a little bit of 
temperature change or elevation? I don't think so because you're from Texas, but um, have you ever been to Vegas? Do you kind of know what that's going to feel like and be like being out there? Uh, so yeah, we, we fly out Saturday about eight thirty in the morning from Waco. So I think, uh, our, our itinerary said we should be into Vegas around 1130 or so in the morning. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we, we were actually in Vegas, uh, a month ago in June, mm-hmm. uh, when we were doing production and whatnot. And, uh, I mean, it, it's hot, you know, uh, it, it was a lot drier. So, uh, I think, you know, I, I had a little, uh, get a little uh, allergies for a bit but uh you know I went and took a run uh after doing production and stuff and uh it's fine you know I, I don't you know it's a dry type of heat you know here in here in uh Texas it's uh it's humid so uh you got all that uh that cool breeze when you sweat but over there in Vegas it's it's nice and dry but I don't really think uh that's going to be an issue for me uh you know uh like I said, you know, we, we were there in Vegas in June and, and uh, the run and the, the pad, pad work that I did while we were down there, uh, I felt pretty good. And uh, as for uh, when I'll be able to use the facilities, I'm not quite sure. I'll, I mean, I'm assuming we'll be able to use it that Sunday uh, and hopefully maybe Saturday evening when, when we get in so I could uh, uh, utilize, uh, utilize their facility for my cut. But uh we don't know. I guess I guess we'll find out when we get in on Saturday. Well, it sounds like a good game plan, and I like the fact that you took advantage of the media obligations of going out there for media in order to to see how it would feel physically. I think that that level of preparation is always important. And sometimes, if you remember Cain Vasquez at his um, at his fight that he lost in, in Mexico, kind of like that that whole concept of not being prepared for the environment. So it sounds like you did your due diligence. What's, what's kind of the, um, what's kind of your, your last thoughts going into this? Are you telling yourself that this is the most important fight or are you kind of, I know some fighters need that. They need that. Like this is the greatest, most important or to you, are you kind of taking that pressure out and just saying, you know what, I've done this 10 or more times before and I'm just going to keep sort of in my, uh, in my lane. What's your mindset? Well, you know, I'm, you know, I, I think of it, you know, uh, it's just another fight that I get into, but, you know, definitely it's in the back of my mind that, you know, this, this fight could, uh, you know, potentially, uh, uh, expand, you know, expand my career. It, it could, uh, you know, help me and, you know, uh, help my family as well. You know, I got a wife and I got two kids, so, uh, it could totally change, uh, change uh our plans of what we got in store and it could you know help us you know it could benefit us you know uh in the long run so uh you know that's always you know uh in the back of my mind when i when i think about it but you know of course you know i i i think of this as just any other fight you know i gotta focus uh on that and uh i i try to you know focus on the task at hand you know and that's that's winning my fight and uh you know uh hopefully we we come home with not just a win, but also a contract. So, but we'll see. You're a baseball player. You were a baseball player. And you know, sometimes uh, athletes in general can be superstitious or get into habits. Like when I was, uh, when I was playing, I, I played uh, a number of different positions, but mainly was a pitcher. And for me, that uh, toe in the rubber, the, um, my plant foot, 
the the dirt had to be a certain way. If if the opposing pitcher dug it out, you know, I would fill it back in and make it like it was start of the game. I wouldn't step on the white line going off the field, coming back on. Always had to get the ball back from the third baseman when it went around the horn. So things like that. Do you, is there anything similar to that in MMA that, that you do where it's like after each fight you have uh, the first meal you eat or anything like that superstitious in some sort? Uh, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't think of it as superstitious, but, uh, you know, once we get into the uh, – the, once we get to the venues, uh, I find a spot where I want to be, and uh, I usually take a 30-minute to an hour nap while we're there. So, uh, I, I, I'm, you know, I, and I, I just think of it as, you know, me being calm and collective. I'm, I'm able to, to nap and, you know, just chill and hang out. Um, when it comes to, you know, post-fight meals, me and my wife – you know, me and my wife are always, you know, these last two weeks, always sending each other, uh, you know, food videos, our Instagram post of food uh, back and forth. And, um, you know, uh, we always talk about what my post post fight meal is going to be. And uh, as for this for this particular fight, we're wanting uh, all you can eat sushi and some sake. So uh, I found some places that got all you can eat sushi. So I'm, I'm hoping to uh, get that. Uh, the fight, my last fight in March, I I had myself a burger and some pancakes at IHOP. So, uh, you know, it's I'm always I'm always thinking what I'm gonna eat afterwards. <laughs> yeah, speaking of eating, uh, my my wife and daughter are giving me the hairy eyeball now because once we're done recording this podcast, we're going to a Japanese steakhouse and oh, that was delicious. Yeah, the, is somehow my wife taught them. They're fourteen and twelve. My daughter's 14, my son's 12, and they developed a taste for Japanese steakhouse. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. They got good taste, huh? Yeah, they, they got expensive taste. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, got I, myself, uh, I got myself an 11-year-old son and a 3-year-old daughter. So when, when they were younger, we would try to get them to try different foods. Yes. And it took a while before they liked seafood, and now – Sometimes I wish I could go back to that time where I tried to feed that to them and not feed it to them. Because now when I order something like shrimp or crab legs, not that we go out and do that a, a lot, but they always want some. And oh, I, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing left. It, it seems that way where there's food that I can enjoy just myself that nobody else wants to try. Oh, exactly. Mm-hmm. That, that's how That's how my dad is with uh with oysters whenever we're at a seafood place he likes getting a uh, raw oysters and uh, before me and my sister never liked them but now when we're at, at dinner he's got to order about two dozen uh order of uh, raw oysters because you know we, we just like to keep dining in on them yeah, you know what that that is an acquired taste for sure yeah and probably about uh 20 years ago something like that i tried them for the first time and it, it took a few times, but it's something that I do enjoy now. I have yet to tell my family that because of what I mentioned before. I need to keep some something for myself. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, making everybody hungry talking about food. Armando, we really appreciate you coming on the show. I know you've got more training tonight. Uh, what's your average training as we wrap up here? What's your average training schedule? You do 
some stuff at at the evening as well as the day? Well, you know, uh, man, uh, I wish I could do a lot more morning work, uh, uh, training, but I work a full time job. I, I do. I work remodeling here in Waco, so I'm. I usually work eight till about three p.m. But uh, as for training uh, on a daily, I usually go into the gym about five o'clock, and uh, I'll get my running in, whatnot, do some mitts or something. Uh, and we usually run from we usually run training from about five p.m. to about nine o'clock. So I, I get about four hours in the evening, and then uh, you know on the weekdays, uh, Saturday I'll probably get another hour or two of training or running. Thanks for giving us the, the look and, and I'd say a big uh, props to you for holding down a full-time job. Obviously you've mentioned your, your wife and kids. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why the Dana White is such a special series because it's really taking people, hopefully like you were talking about, it's really changing lives from where you're a lot of regional fighters are multi, you know, they have two jobs, they have a full-time job, and fighting on the side. So uh, we wish here at MMA FanCast, we wish the best for you and think that it would be obviously awesome for you to be able to get to the point where you can train full-time and not have to do it part-time. Although something we always talk about on the regional level is the desire. And sometimes at like the big UFC level, people kind of get comfortable because they're used to it. But obviously where you are, it would be so much easier if you weren't a fighter. And so I think that the desire for you to be a fighter and train in the evenings and have a family and work full time means that you want it more. And that's the type of fighter that I think is actually exciting for fans to watch uh, because you're not, it, this isn't easy for you. This isn't something that you just, uh, that you do during the day. It's something that you work hard at night. So we really appreciate you coming in. Is there anybody you want to thank at the end here um, as like a send off? We really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, well, first off, I, I want to thank my wife, you know, and my, my kids. Like I said, you know, uh, I, I really push back a lot of things, uh, you know, to do, you know, to be able to do what, uh, what I want to do uh, with my career, MMA career. And, you know, my wife, she's really supportive uh, for me. And, uh, you know, my parents, they, they, they're always, you know, got my back 100, 110%. Uh, my head coach, Jake Brenham, you know, uh, when I first, uh, moved over, uh, to blitz sports about a year ago, uh, you know, he, he told me if I, you know, gave him a hundred percent, uh, you know, in in uh, my training and I, I kept my work ethic up, you know, uh, big things would come and, you know, look, we are here a, a year from now. And, uh, you know, I got three three fights under my belt for him, and uh, we we got a, a fight uh, on on the Dana White Contender Series. Uh, everybody at, at Blitz Sports, that's that's including uh, the kids, the parents, uh, all my teammates. Uh, you know, everybody that's you know got my back and helping me uh, select uh, select uh, jujitsu out here in uh, Waco, Texas, and other place that I go get uh, some training in uh, when I can. And uh, you know all the uh, all my uh, sponsors and advertisers that uh, that have uh, helped me uh, to to just keep on you know going you know that you know they help me you know you know fuel fuel my body with the proper food that I need or make sure I have uh, the proper equipment to train with uh, my boss from Wooden Thumb uh, Services Fernando Ramirez, uh, Ramirez he uh, 
he gave me this whole week off so I could focus on, on finishing, you know, cutting my weight uh, for this fight. So, you know, everybody here in Waco and then everybody back home in San Benito, Texas, uh, I got a lot of family and friends in San Benito and the Rio Grande Valley. And, uh, you know, they, they, they keep, uh, they keep posted, uh, on Facebook and, and Instagram. So, uh, I, I really appreciate everybody's love and, and, and support for, uh, for me it's great it's a great feeling thank you all well we certainly appreciate having you on armando uh, what we do at mma fancast as i said in the beginning is try to give people um a story of the fighter and let them see that you're more than just a fighter and when you go inside the cage or the octagon it's just you but there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes and so many people behind you who help you get to that point and also keep you focused so that you can take care of the job at hand. So um, as we always say at the end of every podcast, thanks for listening. That's it for Pitt. We are MMA Fancast and have a good day. Take care. Have a good one.